Please pray with me and we will uh, dive into our word today. Lord, thank you uh, that you are constant. Lord, we need you to come and we are nothing without you, Lord. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are love, your unconditional love, and you are faithful. God, would you open our minds to understand you a bit more today? Would you open our ears to hear you? Would you open our hearts to receive your word? And may your truth be spoken and may your truth be heard and anything else that is not of you, Lord, may it fall flat on the ground. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, today we are in a second sermon of the series um, where we're focusing on the story of Jacob wrestling. Uh, last week, Pastor George, George talked about uh, when God is a stranger. And Jacob finds himself wrestling, Scripture says, with a man who turns out to be God. And uh, Jacob doesn't understand that quite yet. Today we're going to be focusing on verse 25, which is just the next verse right over as we camp out in uh, the section of Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 32. And a quick recap before we get into our passage. So this man named Isaac. Isaac has two sons. Esau is the older brother, and then Jacob is the younger brother. Jacob steals a blessing out from Esau um, and is now running away. This blessing in particular is to carry on the family lineage. Jacob steals it from Esau and now is running away. And he spends time, about 20 or so years, in the land of his uncle and now is coming back home. And during this coming back journey, he finds out um, his older brother Esau gets word that Jacob's coming back. So Jacob gets word that, hey, your older brother is coming after you with 400 men. And in the midst of this, Jacob... uh, is met with, with God and is wrestling. This is where the wrestling match comes in. And as I read the passage, I would actually encourage you, if you feel comfortable, go ahead and close your eyes and just imagine this passage as I'm reading it. Go ahead and imagine this passage as like a short movie clip going on in your head, in your mind's eye. And if you don't feel comfortable closing your eyes, Totally fine. If you want, you can follow along. The passage will be on our screens here and in in the Pew Bibles in front of you on page 26. The same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, for I have seen God face to face and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the hip socket because he struck Jacob on the hip socket at the thigh muscle. 
This is the word of the Lord. Uh, As I mentioned before, I played soccer in college, and as an athlete, I have a tendency to uh, look up to people who take on tough physical challenges. And and sometimes I'm even inspired to take on those tough physical challenges uh, myself. If it's somewhat in my wheelhouse, I'm like, ooh, yeah, okay, I can do that. Uh, For instance, for instance, one day I want to run a marathon. Yeah, silence. Yep. Uh, I want to run a marathon one day, and the main driver behind that is because both of my parents, a handful of my aunts and uncles, and now even a younger cousin of mine have all ran at least one marathon, and most of them have ran three-plus marathons. Yeah, whoa, why? Um, and that's exactly what I ask. When I, when I take a look and I think about the sacrifice that they make, the dedication that it requires, the, the painful just running and running and running, freely choosing to do that, I ask myself, why? Why would you do that? And when I take a look at my own uh, soccer background um, and waking up early and in the cold, freezing dark and it's wet and we're doing fitness training at 5.30 in the morning, I ask myself, why? Why did I choose to do that? And my why, looking at it, I realized that my why of I wanna be the best soccer player that I can be so that my team can have the opportunity to be the best team that we could be, that why outweighed the madness of waking up super early and sprinting in the cold dark. That, That why outweighed the madness. So when I read that Jacob wrestled with God, I asked, why? Why would Jacob engage with such a difficult battle, especially the night that he thinks he's going to be fighting against his brother? Why would he engage in such a battle? Why? And if we zoom in to only see this passage or even this chapter, we might walk away thinking, okay, this is Jacob's only opportunity and chance to grab a hold of this blessing, this blessing of passing on a long lineage. But if we zoom out, if we zoom out and we get the whole picture, we realize actually that, the God, that God has already given him that blessing. See, earlier in the story, Jacob has received the blessing from his father, the one that he stole out from uh, his older brother, Esau. Jacob already has this blessing from, um, from his father. And now he's on the run and escaping his angry brother. And in the midst of this journey, he has a dream. And the Lord says in this dream, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying, Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. What a powerful blessing. What a powerful promise that God just gives Jacob. And then Jacob wakes up from this dream where, he, where God gives him the blessing. 
He worships God for this amazing dream. And then we pick back up in the story in verse 20, which is just a handful of verses uh, after that. And it says this. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. If then. Jacob acknowledges the awe-filled moment he just had with God, worships God, and yet Jacob treats God as if he is doing God a favor by worshiping him. And then he totally disregards the blessing that, that God just gives him by saying, if you bless me, then you will be my God. If then. And I don't know about you, but if I showed up at a winter training session, if I showed up in the dark, cold, freezing rain and I was ready to go and, and get some fitness in for my team, and my coach says, hey, Arden, somehow you actually got all of like the benefit and the rewards of the fitness training already within you, there's no need for you to run today. I would go ahead and say, thank you very much. I receive and I am gonna go back to my bed and sleep, right? Ain't no way I'm jumping on the line and running sprints if I already have the benefit of it. Tracking, yeah? God had already given Jacob the blessing in the dream, and when we fast forward the tape back to the wrestling match, Jacob is wrestling with God because in Jacob's mind, he doesn't have the blessing yet. In Jacob's mind, he doesn't have the blessing yet because he failed to receive it when it was simply just given to him. He failed to receive it, and he failed to recognize that the blessing was still right there for him. Verse 25 says Jacob got his hip thrown out. And in actuality, it's most likely that Jacob actually gets punched in the crotch, right where it's possible for Jacob to take the blessing of having a long lineage, take it and make it on his own, make it on his own timing and his own way. So Jacob wrestles the night before he's, he thinks he's gonna be fighting for his life, gets punched in the crotch, and scripture goes on to say that that injury that, that occurred to him that night, he actually is permanently walking with a limp from then on out. All of that because Jacob was unable to receive the blessing that God just gave him. All of that. Jacob's whole life, literally from birth to this wrestling match, is filled with numerous accounts of Jacob's scheming, making deals, using people, and using God to get what he was already promised. He tricks his father to give him his brother's blessing. He negotiates uh, with God after the dream. He spends 20 years in his uncle's land manipulating the circumstances and his uncle and his wives to get what he wanted. See, Jacob manufactured the blessing on his own. And because of this, the lineage was there. God still blesses him with 12 sons. The lineage is there, but it was tainted with dysfunction instead of satisfaction. So God decided to injure Jacob to encourage him to finally uh, to submit to, to him so that he could receive the ultimate blessing of experiencing peace and trust in God instead of an endless struggle. 
there's a parallel story to this one. It's about uh, Abraham, or Jacob's grandpa. And it's the same exact blessing. God gives uh, Jacob. God also gives to Abraham. And we read this in Genesis 15, 6, that this is Abraham's response after, after God gives Abraham this blessing. Abraham, uh, it, we, we read this. Abraham believed the Lord, and he, God, credited it to him, Abraham, as righteousness. See, Abraham was given the blessing. He received it and believed it. It was credited to him as righteousness, and God was faithful and carried out the lineage. Jacob was given the same exact blessing. He denied it, negotiated for it, wound up with a broken family, a broken body, and was walking with a limp. And God was still faithful to carry out his lineage. So what's the big deal? Why does this story even matter to us here in Seattle in 2024? We're not running away from our angry older brother that's coming after us with 400 men, I hope. It matters to us right here and right now because God will continue to be faithful despite our unfaithfulness. It matters because God, uh, it, it matters because it gives us hope that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, especially through adversity and especially through the adversity that we've caused. God's faithfulness in the text is there despite the nonsense Jacob gets into. It matters because adversity happens. It happens when it's outside of our control, and it sure as heck happens when it's in our control. This story matters to those of us who are struggling to forgive ourselves. This story matters to those of us who have regrets. This story matters to those of us who have experienced God's goodness and still yet choose to run away. This story matters to those of us who don't know God yet, but are searching for something that's bigger and more powerful and greater than the mess we've made. This story matters. God's faithfulness to love, to forgive, to welcome in the one who is running away, the one who is taking situations into our own hands, God's faithfulness matters. The question, the question for me and for you is what are we going to do about it then? What are we going to do? If it really truly matters, what are we going to do about it? What does this text encourage us to do when adversity happens and it's our fault like it was Jacob's? What do we do when life punches back and we realize it's actually our own doing? I would encourage us, and I think the text encourages us to do three things. When adversity hits and it's on us, we, one, recognize who God is and who we are. Recognize who God is and who we are. This is something that Jacob failed to do. And during this season of Lent, we are focusing on God as the creator, the one who gives us breath in our lungs right now, the one who shaped us and molded us. The one with all authority, he is also gracious, forgiving, merciful, and faithful. This is who God is. 
we're also focusing on the fact that we are creation. God is creator and we are creation. We are dust and to dust we shall return. We are broken sinners in need of a faithful savior and we are unconditionally loved by the savior who has taken our sin and has paid the price for it. And secondly, after we recognize who God is and who we are, secondly, we repent. And when we repent, we confess that we were not under God's authority and we ask for forgiveness to turn our whole self towards Jesus again. And it's a complete 180 degree turn away from our own way of life, away from finding our identity in anything else but God's love and doing a 180 degree turn to turn ourselves towards Jesus. It is a 180 degree turn to say, I am broken and I exchange it for his holiness. And third, we live a life that is marked by this unconditional love. We live a life that is marked by this unconditional love. And it doesn't mean that we live a perfect life. That's impossible on this side of heaven. But what it does mean is that when we do fall short, when we do sin, we have the ability and freedom to start this cycle of recognizing who God is, who we are, and repenting and living it, it out. We have that freedom to turn quickly from here, then recognizing that we are broken and turn quickly to his holiness. And we live it out. We live it out. And if you are hearing this and struggling with receiving this idea that there is an all-loving God who has unconditional love for you, if you're struggling with and, and saying, Arden, yeah, you don't know, I'm hearing you, but you don't know the brokenness that I have within me or that I've caused. There's no way that I can exchange that brokenness for holiness. And I'm here and I hope that you can hear this and that the Holy Spirit is nudging you and saying that, yes, yes, you can. And I'm saying this to myself too that there's nothing that we can do that can take away God's love from us and there's nothing we have done that could change it. The power of God's love for you and for me can be measured by the suffering of the crucifixion and the power of the resurrection. And that's powerful enough for you and for me to hear it today, this morning, and say yes and turn time and time again as we find ourselves broken time and time again. See, God was humble enough to come to this world as an utterly dependent baby. An utterly dependent baby. I talked to the young adults and college students about humility uh, this past Tuesday. And an utterly dependent baby. And I know something about an utterly dependent baby nowadays at 3.30 a.m. An utterly dependent baby, Jesus. He lived on earth as a man, then after 33 years of life, he was betrayed. Sold out by his own friend, a student of his, a friend of his, a man who did life with him, who Jesus taught, ate with, probably sang with. Jesus was beaten and whipped with a Roman scourge. And if you don't know what a Roman scourge is, it's a, it's a leather whip that has multiple strands, and within that strands, there's broken pieces of metal and bone that's intertwined in those strands. And that and its whole purpose for that is that when it latches on to whatever it latches on to, that it digs in deep and rips 
out. Jesus was whipped by this. And actually, we get the word fillet from this Roman scourge. Jesus was whipped and beaten with this. Jesus had a crown of thorns pressed and squeezed into his already bruised head. Jesus was mocked and crucified. And when I see a tough physical challenge, I ask, why? Why? Why would God do all of that? Why would Jesus put himself through that? Why would Jesus freely choose to do all of that? And the why behind the madness was so that Jesus can give you and me the opportunity to say yes. The opportunity to say, yes, I am broken. And that power of the resurrection and the power of the crucifixion allows us to turn and say I receive your holiness and exchange it for my brokenness. That's the why. That's the why. Jesus did all of that just for the opportunity for you and for me to say yes. That was the why driving him into all of that madness. That was the why. You and me were the why. And in this season of Lent where we reflect, confess, and wait hopefully for the resurrection, I want to challenge I want to challenge some of us to think, what if this whole God thing is true? What if it's really true that there's a God who unconditionally loves me? Or if you're, you're here this morning and you say, yes, I know that, and I've been a Christian for a while now, I pray that you hear it fresh this morning, and that there's a God who unconditionally loves you and that we get to turn our brokenness and exchange it for his holiness. And again, if, you, if you've been with God for a while now and maybe a little longer than I've been alive, I want to challenge you to ask this question perhaps of what am I unable to receive from God Is there a blessing that God has already given me that I've gotten in my own way of receiving? See, Jacob wrestled to get what he already had and paid the price for it. Generations, they're paying the price for it. What would it look like in times of adversity that we've caused for us to humble and receive God's love and forgiveness? What would it look like in times of adversity that we've caused if we truly recognize who God is, who we are, repented, and lived out of that life of unconditional love? I think our families, our friend groups, this church, our UPC groups that are forming, and this community would also be marked by God's unconditional love we would be honest about our shortcomings and move quicker towards grace for ourselves and for others. We would be quick to listen and slow to speak. That we would be humble, and as C.S. Lewis put it, that we would not think less of ourselves, but we would think of ourselves less. That we would be willing to sacrifice our comfort and what we feel and think is normal to serve others and help create an environment where they also feel unconditionally loved. 
And that's what I'm expecting of, and that's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm praying for, for this community, for UPC, as we dive into and continue on in this season of Lent. Please uh, pray with me. God, thank you for your unconditional love. Thank you, Lord, that there's nothing that we can do that could change it, nothing that we have done could change it either. God, we recognize that we are broken. Holy Spirit, would you convict us where we need conviction so we can turn to you and recognize that you are God and we are not. And in doing so, that we could experience your peace instead of endless striving. Lord, would you speak to us in ways that only you can do? And we thank you for the beautiful, powerful cross that you endured for us. In your name we pray. Amen.